See, to me, that was delayed. Uh, we'll work with it. Okay. But you can... My mouth is matching my lips right now. Your mouth is matching your lips. Okay. We're good. This is All Games Go to Heaven, Episode 2, Star Renegades. Well, here we are in Episode 2 of... All Games Go to Heaven. All Games Go to Heaven. (laughs) Formerly called something else. (laughs) But I did a pretty good job editing it out uh, from that last episode, but yeah. I think so. Yeah. Nobody's the wiser. No, and you know what? And that's, that's the thing. These things are a learning experience. They're a growing process. If anything, the one thing I'm just happy at is that we did it. We did an episode one. Mm-hmm. It came out. The audio sounds great, even if the video had a little bit of a lag on it. It's the audio that matters first. Yeah. Uh, it's sort of podcast first, YouTube mm-hmm. second. But uh, by all accounts, knock on wood, things are looking good right now. So yeah. hopefully, you know, both will be up to the same bar. And I'm not going to lie, I'm a little glad we pivoted from the, the original name. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. I'm I'm happier with this because, you know, you and I have joked around with the all something, all blank goes to heaven for a while, right? Even when we had our band, it was all prawns go to heaven. Well, I was talking to a friend about it, and she made a point of like... Uh... It's like a fitting name because what happens to the the games once we finish them? You know, they're just sitting on the shelves. It's like, no, all games go to heaven. Some games go to hell. So yeah, some games. <laughs> some games go to hell. Like every yeah. Zelda game. You know, I don't know if I should say this on the podcast. Yes, why not? Why not? I'm going to say this on the podcast. But since you and I are looking for a game that I love and you hate and a game you love and I hate, um, you recommended a game we should play later in the season that I, I've watched a ton of gameplay footage of right now. And unless you were forcing me to play it, I'll tell you right now, I would never touch it with a 10-foot pole because it combines a lot of the elements I don't, I stray away from in games. And it's Prey. What? Prey is sci-fi Bioshock. How but the, the character design looks ugly. The weapon combat looks disgusting. And oh and I God. and and I've always, it's just so overdone the concept of the closed box space station. You know, it's dead space. It's it's this or that. And if I want to play Bioshock, I'll play Bioshock underwater. Anyways, point is though, I'm not saying it's the game I would hate, but it it it, it might be actually in contention for that episode. As like the as if the gunplay in Bioshock was so amazing. It wasn't, but Bethesda does has a special place in my heart for all of their gunplay and 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 that's kind of where it has a redeeming element to me with prey because it is bethesda 
Bethesda I didn't. Do... Bethesda didn't make Bioshock. Bioshock, but they made Prey. That's what I'm saying. Like they that's pub the... they published Prey. Arcane made Prey, which is the guys mm. that made Dishonored. And I did enjoy Dishonored. Mm -hmm. We'll talk about it. Well, to be continued. We're getting you way ahead of ourselves. Yeah, <laughs> you hate Zelda. That's the point. That's the yeah. point here. Okay. This episode, we're talking about Star Renegades, a game. I'm super excited to talk about. Uh, I was super excited about it when it first came out. Another one, this one I bought for you as a gift and was trying to get you to play it for, what, two, three years? And you finally have. And by, uh, you seem to like it, which I'm happy about. Seems yeah, worth the fan. wait. Worth the wait. Worth the wait? Yeah, honestly, Wor because it, I, I don't think I would have been prepared for it when you bought it for me in the headspace I was in. And we'll get to it throughout the episode as to why, but I did have a certain journey as a gamer that made me appreciate all the elements it did better than other games it's similar to. What were you playing in 2020? Assassin's Creed Val Jerkoff? Val Odyssey Jerkoff, thank you very yeah, much. Yeah. But uh, it's, it's fine, it's fine. No, I was playing... I was playing uh, Assassin's Creed and I was playing a lot of Fallout 76, but I hadn't played Chimera Squad yet. And mm. that that game prepped me a lot for timeline combat. Okay. I and think, that was a big thing. Yeah, I think this one does... takes that concept much further than Chimera Squad sort of wanted to. And I'm okay with that, but again, we'll, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah, I think this is a deeper game than Chimera Squad in general. Like, overall, period. Yeah, but, Chimera uh, Squad was like XCOM light. But it was okay. Not my favorite, but uh, glad I played it. Yeah, and we were such a big fan of XCOM going into it. But this game, with what the company, the developers, uh, Massive Damage, did with this game was truly unique. Because, to me, this is... Star Renegades is... Classic 90s gaming nostalgia, if not late 80s nostalgia, bundled into a better graphics package. For a lot of the sensations and the feelings, I remember growing up playing a lot of old Sega games and a lot of early gen, I guess, even Super Nintendo games. It's not that it represents a lot of those same games, but it made me feel so nostalgic in so many ways. Like from an, as from an aesthetic point, it brought you back? Yeah, but... From the soundtrack to an aesthetic sound uh, standpoint to a a general sort of simplicity of gaming but done with depth where it didn't need as much flash and pizzazz to capture me because the gameplay itself was so effective. Hmm. And that's what a lot of old gaming was. It was a lot of, we're not gonna, they couldn't wow us yet with the graphics even though sometimes they did, but you really had to create a deep game back then. I mean, for game. us, all those games looked amazing. I, I mean, you're you're old enough to remember the the transition from like, maybe not like Atari. Even I mm -hmm. you know, had never played an Atari, but Nintendo to Super Nintendo. I remember the first time turning on Super Mario World, which came with the Super Nintendo, and I was just like, yeah, five years old or six years old, going, wow, like what is this? <laughs> this is what so colors I, I, can I, look like. Yeah, Star Renegades is that turned up to like. 11 we'll say mm -hmm. i'll agree with that mm. but 
I do remember, because for me, I do remember specifically the switch from Nintendo to Super Nintendo was startling. And then let alone when Super Nintendo transitioned to N64, because then I was around grade six, grade seven. And that blew me away even further, because suddenly you're in a 3D space. Then you go to Mario, Super Mario 64 or Mario 64, and it's like, your mind is blown. And somehow Nintendo, like they always seem to do, nailed moving in a 3D space like right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. Like everyone struggled with that for a long time, even after Mario sixty four came out. But they Nintendo Mario sixty four like felt great right out of the box. Incredible game. It's it's what can happen when your studio sticks to its guns and learns how to grow around its own. I don't know, play in its own sandbox. You know, it wasn't trying to chase the successes of. You know, you see the war between Xbox and PlayStation, for example. And I feel like Nintendo just doesn't care. It does its own thing. It plays in its own sandbox. And they're like, okay, you guys go compete while we're just going to make the most money out of everyone and still charge the most for games. And people are still going to buy them. Bye. Bye. Yeah, I'd say probably once like the Final Fantasy game started moving away from Nintendo and going to Sony, that's when Nintendo was just like, ah, yeah, we're going to do our own thing. <laughs> Whatever. You know, ah, we don't need ah. you. We don't, we don't need you, and they, you know, so far that's proven true. But well, speaking of... Oh, go ahead. No, no, that's it. Go, go. I was just going to say, speaking of studios... Massive damage. Massive damage. I was about to, I was about to say the same thing. <laughs> because on, on a similar note, so in my research, the thing that I loved and I discovered here is I myself am a filmmaker, and a lot of filmmakers and a lot of the arts infrastructure that comes out of Canada, where we are based out of oftentimes finds its way to a source called Ontario Creates. And the first thing that kind of caught me when it came to researching about Massive Damage, the company that developed uh, Star Renegades, was that they were essentially funded by Ontario Creates to a huge degree, to the point where Mm -hmm. their their sponsor pops up at the bottom of the game. And I haven't seen that in a game in a long time. I see that in films, where the ballpark I play in, and I see it in theater on theater billets and stuff but i have never seen it on a game before and that excited me right away yeah and it's big on the the title screen it's big that, like good for them like yeah loud and proud freaking ontario here we go that is ontario it's, yeah ontario but just canada in general that i always too, love yeah. when canada can yeah maple leaf culture yeah it's yeah just, like I, I i don't like we both love star renegades i'm not sort of gonna delude myself and i don't think you believe this either like star renegades is some sort of huge super popular game that you know (laughs) occupied everybody's time Uh, you know i I think it definitely flew under the radar i know it came out in 2020 but i couldn't tell you you know what month or what else came out around the same Mm. time i'm sure there was there's always some big ip that's coming out at the same time that would have overshadowed this but uh i'm glad i didn't miss it well so on that note uh, the company, Massive Damage, was funded by two brothers, Ken and Gary Seto, who originally started off by being app developers. And their biggest thing is, it seems to me, and this is just me guessing behind the scenes, they had so much commercial success in the early days with their app called iMockup, which received huge success on the Apple App Store specifically, and it ended up with them creating an app company called Endloop. And they became so successful so fast that they pretty much hired someone to generally run the company itself 
And guess what they did? They said, after all these successful tech developments, we want to go make video games. And not just we want to go make video games, we want to create two big video games. That's crazy. That's kind of crazy, you know? You, you take all that money, you take all that success, and instead of going, I want to make another Xbox platform, or what was that company? I think you were playing that game Avalon or something that was originally by some baseball player or Mark Cuban kind of guy who started oh, his own company. Uh, Kingdoms of Amalur. That one. Yeah, I forget what sport he was in, but yeah, it was uh, like baseball or football or something like that. He started a game company. Um, yeah, that one... Pretty interesting game, but the story of that IP and that company, not so great. Yeah, but that's what you'd almost expect when somebody has a bunch of commercial success. They say, you know, I want to jump into this 3D amazing, compete with Xbox kind of world. But these guys said, no, we want to make games like Star Renegades. They started with a game called... It's called Halcyon 6. I actually have that one as well. Not uh, their first game. Hmm? Not their first game. That's actually their fifth game. They only have two games out. No. So these guys, Massive Damage has two games out, but these guys started with a game called... Because it was a big deal at the time. Please Stay Calm. And it was the first ever multiplayer game that depended on where you were in the world. Hmm. And this was a big deal. I, I didn't look up a lot about the game itself, but then that eventually leads to Halcyon 6. Yeah. Hugh Steven. Which, just super quick, yeah, I'd say is like a simpler version of Stellaris with pixel art. Uh, it was, it was, it was okay. For me, it was okay. Uh, you know, I, I'm always attracted to things that have pixel art that's done well. Uh, and you know how much I like Stellaris, so it seemed like a good combo, but uh, it didn't hold me for long. I don't know, it just, it didn't ever clicked. But then... Star Renegades definitely did. And it was, yeah, it was the artwork that I first saw. Uh, it was either from some indie game press conference or just a screenshot somewhere of, you know, some of the characters uh, and the background. And I was just like, okay, what is this? You know, I, I need to know what this is because it looks awesome. And then found out it was Star Renegades, tracked it until the release date, bought it right away, and and dove in. And yeah, I guess uh, go ahead. No, no, go for it. I was just going to say, you know, big shout out to Brian Heemskirk, who's the lead artist. Freaking fantastic job. Some of the best pixel art I've ever seen. The animation, too. I agree. Because Halcyon 6, to me, seems, from the stills that I saw, feels as if they're chasing the Star Trek vibe, almost. Where it seems like you kind of have a crew, a Star Trek crew, and you land on planets, and you don't know what kind of gunk you're going to step into. Yeah, it's like cartoony star trek almost like if you took the vibe of uh the show lower decks yeah and like made that into a video game like yeah i'd say that's pretty accurate yeah but then star renegades is this beautiful because i agree with you even when i saw the first picture i automatically went this is a synth wave future night tackling blank because i didn't know what the premise was yet which you'll get mm -hmm. to in a sec but sure then i and i said right away i was like wow this is this is that beautiful synth wave space vein that a lot of people are chasing right now and they caught it they caught it in a bottle yeah and uh i think if we put some space armor on you right now with those sweet chops you're rocking you'd you'd fit right in well i'll you will get to see me as a synth wave villain 
soon enough in the unnamed project with my unnamed character, hopefully in fall 2023. So, Looking forward to it, buddy. Yeah, but Star Renegades, the plot itself, to me, was unknown. And that's kind of where you tapped in. The first time you actually explained the plot to me was kind of what hooked me more. I'd say the the plot is more of something that they came up with to justify the game being a roguelike. And for those that don't know, a roguelike video game is one where you're going to play it over and over again because you're going to you know get to a certain point, you're going to die, you're going to go back to the start, presumably with you know, new items or, or permanent upgrades so that you're stronger for the next run until you can progress to the end. Uh, the two biggest examples of that right now are probably Dead Cells and um, Hades. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, those are the ones that people talk about all the time. Played both. Didn't hook me. Uh, I tried, especially with Hades, because I'm such a fan of that studio after uh, Bastion and Transistor. Like, I love both of those games a lot. But, uh... It's too, like, Twitchy-based. Like, Twitch gaming. You know, like, so it doesn't hook me, whereas Star Renegades is, you know, it's turn-based and tactical. You can take as much time as you want, think out, plan ahead, and and carry it out. But anyway, the the story is there's these, this evil force called the Imperium, which is all evil robots that are hopping from dimension to dimension, wiping out all life and and taking over so you're you know a little spherical robot named uh, j5t1n aka justin who gets sent from dimension to dimension to you know rally the forces against the imperium so if you win you've saved that dimension if you don't win if your heroes die you know justin jumps to the next dimension you know you start your new run like you would in a roguelike Uh, all the while you know, even if you succeed or you don't, you're gaining points so you can get new upgrades and new characters and things like that. And that's that's the basic premise, you know, elevator pitch of Star Renegades. Yeah, but that caught me. Right away that caught me because like you said, roguelikes... Well, this is... Well, first off, I think I'm, I kind of screwed myself over because I've never played a roguelike before. And every roguelike from here on forth will be living in the shadow of Star Renegades. You know, and that's going to be a challenge because Hades is a game, for example, that was on my radar for future gameplays, but I also hasn't hooked me because it doesn't have that tactical RPG element that is so evidently right at the forefront of Star Renegades. So Mm -hmm. as soon as you said multiple dimensions and that justifying the idea of like every time you die, you have to restart with Justin. It's funny, I never caught in that it... Its name was Justin until right now. That's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, so but the, go ahead. No, but that, but that was beautiful. That that caught me right away. Mm-hmm. And I, I really wanted to like Hades one, like I said, because of the studio. But I think they're the the first. It's the first game that I know of where they really use the roguelike as part of the narrative. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't just, you know, you, you come back to the starting point and nothing happens you and you try again. It's like, nope, like there's little bits more of story added. You get different interactions depending on, you know, what you did in your run. So for, that kept me wanting to play, but it still wasn't enough. But I, I do mm-hmm. have to give them a shout out for making the narrative 
such a focus in in a a genre that I think that's insanely difficult to do. Yeah, yeah. Because if you ask me, how am I going to restart a character over and over and over again? I don't freaking know. I, I mean, I could probably come up with something, but it, it was clever. But to me, so was Star Renegades. This con this concept that a universe gets conquered or a dimension gets conquered, and right away your little robot gets thrust into another dimension. That's yeah, this is the the real war for the multiverse. Eat your heart out, Marvel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, minus the fact it's you know pixelated and the budget was probably something like one three hundred. Yeah, three hundred thousand, not three hundred million. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you said something recently, speaking of the story, that you don't think the dialogue is good in this game, and I want to know why. And I'm gonna tell you why I think it is. Why you think you're gonna argue why it's good? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, so for starters, I love the characters, the environments. Uh, to get a little deeper into the story, the entire multi-dimension aspect is set in a world where once upon a time ago, giant titans lived on all these planets and in all these dimensions. And these giant titans are now their dead remains are scattered all throughout all the dimensions. So as you're pushing through what is in each run three planets while you try to get to the mothership, which is kind of the end game, you are sometimes battling characters in the desolate remains of these titans or these titans are popping up or there's character prompts coming up. And I love the titans. I love the future cities. I love the tech. I loved a lot of the character... Uh, setups, but the dialogue was so tongue-in-cheek for every character. And what that means is it's just throwaway. Everyone's got to have something clever to say. This person who's been traumatized by psychological warfare has nothing but clever one-liners to throw away. This person who's the wise guy has one-liners to say. This person who's the villain has these infantilized versions of one-liners to say. And it just degrades the actual characters that are supposed to be the Han Solo-esque character or the cheeky commando robots or the someone else because everyone's tongue-in-cheek and everyone's a bit of an idiot. So, I disagree. I, everyone is tongue-in-cheek, but I don't see it as bad. I see it as campy. Like, I don't think any of these people or any of the characters in there are supposed to be taken seriously. Like, do we take Arnold Schwarzenegger seriously for all of his movies in the 80s and 90s and all of his freaking zingers? Not really, but we love the guy. And all those lines are great and endlessly quotable. I'm not saying, you know, any of these characters are throwing out, like, the endlessly repeatable one-liners, but I think it does fall into that realm of just campy goofiness. Sure. Sure, but something like Halcyon 6, this concept of a, a ragtag kind of lower deck crew going from planet to planet, that's where the tongue-in-cheek for everyone campiness works a little bit better. With Star Renegades, some of your characters, for example, the starting character, the Valkyrie, is a very serious character, and they kind of start her off very serious in regards to her backstory. Hmm. Her brother immediately gets taken, uh, captured, captured by the Imperium, and it becomes her main quest to get back onto the mothership and save her brother if brother's not dead, right? You think brother's dead, I'm pretty sure, at the beginning of it. You know, you have other characters, for example, the Archon, that has a bit of a more of a serious tone. Here's the steel kind of 
preacher who represents this religion that exists within Star Renegade, which whose name I don't remember. And they're just as hammy as the wise guy Han Solo and the cheeky robot. And not only that, but the villains are all these, I don't know, these half cyborg, half organic creatures that are all they're talking all about robots. their... They're, they're all, all robots. They're all robots. Okay, so they're all robots, even worse in my opinion. Really? That are all... Yeah, I mean, no, no, just in the, in the sense that they're just as hammy and being like, your character just killed one of the generals. Ah, oh, better not end up like this guy. Oh, I better uh, report this back to mother. Like, uh, come on, come on. I'm okay with that. It's like, you know, they're, they're either, they, they give the other lieutenant shit for doing a bad job or they're, you know, they're like, ah, mama, like I'm going to do better. <laughs> I don't have a problem with that. It's like, they're not supposed to be like hyper intelligent. Like even when they, even when they retreat, they're like, ah, mother, I don't want to die. Mother. That's the one, not mama. Yeah, I know. But <laughs> Honestly, what's the difference? No, but it's just every... But when every character behaves like this, it devalues the use of it. And that's the Marvel syndrome of our age. Oof. It's hard to argue oh. with that. It's hard to argue with that as being Marvel syndrome. Just because it seems like that's just such a... Completely dominates all of our media right now, but I mean, there's people fighting against it. But to me, I think it's just they went for an '80s vibe, and camp is part of an '80s vibe. Sure, sure, and that's the greater discussion. For example, the director I work with, uh, Jendo, he and I talk about all the time because he is very committed to making synthwave films, and there is that conversation over how how serious was RoboCop and how serious was some of these other last action hero and other synthwave films were chased or Terminator films were chasing and how much of the campiness do you hold on to? RoboCop is a little bit more campy because we've, we've dissected this quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Terminator is a very serious, right? There's no campiness mm-hmm. to it. In fact, the campiness was intended to be cool or frightening back in the day, right? Yeah. And I think we do need to give them a bit of credit in the fact that Every single character has, like, eh, not like, every single character has individual dialogues. Every single character has dialogues with all the other characters. They all have the unique ones, depending on the setting or where you're exploring. A lot of effort went into making, you know, this so-called hammy, crappy dialogue that you're not a fan of. Yes, but here's the thing. And now this is where, I guess, our bread and butter of this podcast come from. I'm a writer who's been working to analyze writing in games, theater, film for the last 15 years, obsessively, to the point where I'll forgive shitty development of a game or shitty um, filming and cinematography for the sake of just analyzing a good story or not. And the problem is, one of the hardest things to do as a writer is make sure all your characters don't sound like they were written by the same person. Meaning you can still write them all with a sort of je ne sais quoi or a certain let's just say dynamic because you're still creating characters steven is a character from the future that has one left hand and he (laughs) accidentally was given a second left hand when he's right one got impaled and because of this now he relates to the world a different way well that will necessarily create 
different reactions to situations that other characters will be having as you progress through the story. But then the best writers to me are the ones that get in there and can not only write the uniqueness of your situation entering or your your circumstance entering a situation, but also differentiate the tongue-in-cheekness of your character versus mine entering it, if both of us are tongue-in-cheek or both campy. And I can tell when somebody who's not a writer and is probably a developer first or a programmer first or something enters into a writing situation. And yeah, they've created all these archetypes or let's say features of a character that make them unique, but then their voice lacks as much uniqueness in regards to what words they're choosing, how their sentence structure's developed, how they're hitting those sentences. That's it. That's what I got. Do you think it's necessary for this kind of game where the point of it isn't really to flesh out these super deep characters, but it's more to just get the run done, get to the next run? No, it's not necessary. And that's why, and this will be a perfect transition, that's why I forgave it very easily. But it just found me skipping over it all the time. I didn't give a, I didn't care. I didn't care. Like, whatever these characters had to say most of the time, I just didn't care because all the meat and potatoes was everything but this. And the, look, we got the one big negative out of the way for me because everything else was awesome. <laughs> everything else was awesome. Massive damage. If you ever watch this, don't listen to him. The writing was great. I'm, I'm just... You know, this is what I will always argue, whether I'm going, like I said, going into a film, into a video game, into a theater production, I am just such a stickler for story and writing techniques because that's the lens, unfortunately, that I use to, to dissect these things. As a gamer, I don't give a shit. I don't yeah, care. I mean, and that's common too, right? I mean, you'll hear so many actors in interviews, you know, they have trouble watching movies because they're thinking about what's going on behind the lens or the production or even their own performance or other people's performances. Like, I do I do get that argument. Just, just give them a break, Mike. Give them a break. I, the gamer in me didn't just give them a break. I celebrate them. Well right. done, Massive Damage. As a gamer, this is a great... I, I, I had a tough time stopping myself from wanting to just do run after run after run after run after run because after i got through the first run and i finished the first run took me 11 runs to get to the end of the mothership and get through it which you guided me through thank you guru thank you i just gave you some hints man you did it you did it thank you i do feel like i accomplished something but after that the game got better so is it after you beat the game the first time that you felt like you had that moment where it clicked or did it click before that it clicked before that but i felt a need to finish the game i found myself being more careful than i would have liked to be and more more cautious over my character combinations because one of the big mechanics is combining a variety of characters Mm -hmm. to do different team builds right and that i was far more cautious than i was afterwards okay okay for me, and we'll dig into you know what a run looks like and how things work. Like what you know, I first got the game because I was so enamored with the pixel art, and then I remember doing two, three runs, and kind of having this moment of like, oh no, you know maybe maybe this isn't for me, and you know as much as I love the art, I'm not going to play it. And then 
I got to my fourth or fifth run and I just had that light bulb moment with the timeline. And from there, I was hooked immediately. And I, I'm probably like a 110, 120 hours into this game now. Yeah. You know, play it on hard is my new normal. Like, just hooked. Like, once that this game clicks, I feel like it's really hard to put down. It is. Mm-hmm. It's very addictive because yeah. for me, I clicked right away because I knew what the timeline system was. So that wasn't obscure to me. For me, it was just the case of wanting to get a run done before, A, we did this episode. Because this will be a game I will continue playing. I, I went into this game blank with no expectations besides the fact that you loved it and you bought it for me. And we were doing this episode and I needed that motivation to get started on it. But it clicked right away for me and I was hooked right away. Mm-hmm. So the, the main mechanic of this game, anytime you're in a battle, is there's a timeline at the top. Uh, I believe it's 60 seconds. And it, and at the start of every turn, all the enemy's actions fall within that timeline. And you can use your character's actions to manipulate that timeline. So to do damage, to uh, stagger the opposing, or stagger the enemies. So either push them back so your attacks come first, which means you're doing extra damage, or even knock them off of the timeline entirely so that they're completely staggered and they don't get an action. Uh, for me, the way I like to play, and one of the beauties of this game is I feel like there are multiple ways to play it, but for me personally, I focus on timeline manipulation. As long as they're getting zero turns or one turn, for me it's a cakewalk. And I, I just, the more I can manipulate that and, you know, I'm not taking damage and they're not getting turns, like, it just feels so good when you get one of those turns where everything goes perfect. I love it. I'll never get tired of that sensation. Also because, like you said, there's so many characters, so you get lots of different options and different combinations. There's all the gear that you have to unlock, which changes the way your character's attacks work or, you know, can make them delay more, make them execute faster. There's just a really great combination of things you can do that I also didn't find overwhelming because it's introduced at mm-hmm. a pretty, at a good rate. It's not just, mm-hmm. here's everything, freaking figure it out. You start with, what, four characters in the beginning that you have three. accessible? Three. Three. Yeah, the, the three from the, yeah, three characters. And then as you progress to the next planet, you can add more. But when you start a new run, you get to choose who you want. And yes. I, I think the first time you get to choose, it's maybe only four or five versus uh, like 13 or 14 by the end mm-hmm. once you've unlocked everybody. Well, and something that helped one of my friends who didn't understand what I was talking about was so say for example with the timeline you have three characters they have three characters your three characters and their three characters all have different attack speeds and those mm-hmm. attack speeds like in pokemon and that's what helped him that attack speed of each character decides where they fall in that timeline and then you'll have certain attacks that'll knock them back by 15 seconds another attack that'll knock everyone back by 20 seconds mm-hmm. and that f- allows your characters to have a whole sequence of events where they don't even get to attack once you know yeah and and all all the while you're doing damage to them even even if it's not as much because you're you know using an attack that does stagger damage versus you know a stronger one that doesn't you're going first and you're making sure they don't get a turn so there's lots of ways to go about it which are really i think it makes it have a broader appeal than one that was just focused on manipulating that timeline and not only that, but this is just what happens in a battle. Why don't you mm-hmm. explain how you get to a battle, a.k.a. what is a run? 
Sure. So a typical run starts off, you know, you're at the base of operations. And from there, you know, you have your options of uh, unlocking new weapons, uh, unlocking abilities for the camping feature, which we'll get to. And I think unlocking new variations of characters that you already have are the three main things that you do there. And you start a run. It spits you out at the first planet, which is always sort of a gimme area. You know, it's mm -hmm. the get your feet wet and get some experience points so you can level up your characters. And then the first planet starts proper. And you have three days. And each day you have, uh, I guess, three zones that you can go to. Yeah, because... Like, how, how, the... how would you explain that? So each planet has a series of... Nodes, Let's call maybe? them tile tiles tiles sure, or or almost board yeah board tiles tiles and yeah. you have a choice you you can only access three tiles every day yeah and you will not be able to get to all of the tiles on a planet in the three days there's you you be able to get to nine tiles total there's more than nine so on each planet there's Enemies on usually almost every tile, if not all. Uh, maybe there's one that is a gimme, which sometimes is nice. Uh, but there will be... Sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. There will be the lieutenants, which are the much stronger enemies. And usually they'll have weapon crates with them. So you can choose to go after the lieutenants. If you want to try and strengthen or heal up your forces, there's tiles that have you know, uh, shield upgrades or armor upgrades or a health pack. And there's even ones where you can go after you know, uh, a faction that's helping the Imperium so that you can get access to a hidden zone where you have more enemies and you can gain more experience, which is something I always like to try to do just to get that extra experience, that extra gear, get my characters stronger. So you have three days to sort of do as much damage as you, you can, get the things that you want, and then at the end of the third day, uh, the behemoth shows up. But I also just realized I skipped the camping mechanic. <laughs> no, no, but that's okay. Yeah. Finish with the behemoth first. Yeah, so the, the behemoth is the main boss of each planet. Generally much... It's a one-on-one -on -one fight. Uh, or sorry, not one-on-one. -on -one. One main enemy versus your squad. And they're very tough. You know, lots of health, lots of armor, lots of shields. You know, meant to test you. And, mm -hmm. you know, be that final challenge of the planet. Uh they usually have a gimmick. I don't know if you have yeah. this sort of same experience of once you've figured out the gimmick once or twice, they become kind of easy. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a develop. It's kind of like a developmental challenge, and you're the one who explained it to me because with the third behemoth, was that whole notion that it has a shield that consistently has a new element that is attacking you with, or that will hurt you with for fire or nano or what plasma or whatever whatever have there's you there's a bunch yeah yeah but each behemoth is sort of a developmental challenge have you learned the skills to now analyze something completely different because no three behemoths are different like no 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 none of the two three d behemoths are the same yeah in the sense of how they challenge you yeah and i've you know the, the first one i don't know what it would necessarily teach you for the second one i'm trying to think of that on the spot now and i'm having a brain freeze but <laughs> You know, like the I know the second one teaches you sir about uh, counterattacks. The third one is really enforcing the damage types, like you said, all to get you ready to take on the final challenge, which is the ship, uh, the mothership. I'd say the second one teaches you, in my opinion, 
the importance of deferring attack hits and defense like how to use your support characters a little a little better sure because that character has or that behemoth counterattacks a lot and i think even more so than that it teaches you to really study what effects your attacks are going to have on your enemy sure and it has a very small because one thing is every character every enemy has a counter number underneath their underneath their let's just say picture on the timeline and the more attacks you use that have an effect on their timeline aka counters or not counters but i guess delays stagger stagger damage every time you do one of those that number goes closer to zero and that behemoth specifically has the lowest number consistently it doesn't really go above two ever Mm -hmm. Yeah, and when that number does hit zero, it's going to attack no matter what. You can't stagger it anymore. And that's why I say that one is so important for learning how to take a hit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's actually very true. That's, I think in the early stages of playing this game, you can get really paranoid about not letting your squad get hit. Yeah. But especially in the last fight, because after the behemoth fight, you have a cooldown period. You know, you go back to your mini base and everyone's healed up but you get so paranoid that you don't want to take a hit but the behemoth fights are sort of the the time to let that happen for the sake of getting better damage like for sure that's a really good point that's just how i felt with number two but i i think you're right i I actually completely agree the uh the camping thing that I, i mentioned which we just sort of skipped over is in between each day your squad camps out and there's two mechanics there that happen there's the relationship of your squad mates, which you enhance by using cards. And the cards are the second mechanic, which all have uh, effects on them. You know, and the, it'll be like uh, you, your shield defense is better or uh, your attacks cause enemies to bleed and so on and so forth. And the thing that I didn't was trying really hard not to spoil for you when you were playing this game is to not focus on the status effects and focus on those relationships just max them out yeah because that's how you unlock the newer much more powerful and specialized characters yes and those specialized characters become very necessary after you beat your first run because a total run is pretty much this you go through the intro planet then after your first run you have a choice of two planets you can go to which i call planet two and then you go to planet three and then after planet three, you go to the mothership. And mm-hmm. at the end of the mothership, something happens when you beat it. And that something, which I, I can say it, right? Like, I, can I think we, it. Yeah, we, can, yeah. we can say it. Yeah, so what happens is you lose one of your characters. Because one of your characters that you finish the run with becomes the new main villain. So in the you travel to the next dimension that you're trying to save. And that dimension's version of that character gets killed. And an evil version of them is the one leading the mothership. Yes. Yes. So it becomes so important because I found after my first run that I, I had a character known as the Valkyrie, which the Valkyrie was my staple character. Steve has a different staple character. We'll talk to in a second. I know, I know, I know, I know how you feel about my Valkyrie, but her, she had a good combination of minor stagger damage, but also had a lot of attacks that didn't inflict stagger damage and therefore was a good little combination of when you have heavy stagger characters on your team, she's good to throw in there because then she can inflict damage that won't affect that stagger counter or that counter, that number on the bottom. But and that is also, important. 
Yes, and she also had a lot of strong attacks that both affected characters, aka had massive damage, but also inflicted stagger damage. Even if it was a little bit, it was still always something. So and I, so, I go. Yeah. I get. I'm just gonna say quickly. I give the Valkyrie a hard time. You do realistically. You do for your first few runs. It is a good character to be starting with. Yes, yes, but after I lost her, I found this vacuum I was in where I couldn't really find a new team. I still haven't found a new team after 18 runs because I've done 18 or 20 runs now. I still haven't found good a for you, man. team that can get me through. Yeah, but I also abandoned two of the runs because I recognized very early on how poor the combination was and that I just didn't want to... I didn't want to deal with that for the mm-hmm. whole thing. I didn't want to waste my time pushing further on this because I recognized how poorly that puzzle, those puzzle pieces were coming together. I think the the biggest struggle with a team you're not enjoying will always be the first planet. Because you'd be surprised how once you get that fourth and fifth character, how much all of a sudden they can synergize again. Sure. So I, mean, I don't blame you. Like I've abandoned runs too, or I was trying new characters. Um, there's two that I'm really not a fan of: the Dragoon and the Varangian. If I get those guys, I I abandon. I quit. <laughs> <laughs> See, I haven't tried either because those are progeny characters. So those are when Steve was talking about the idea that maxing out your relationships. So if you are at camp. There's two things that can happen. There's a characters have either three hearts over them or four hearts. Mm-hmm. If you max out a three heart, all it really does is it changes their outfits or gives them special powers to use in battle together. Combination powers, combos. But if you max out the four hearts, you unlock what's called a progeny. And that progeny can either be a new character or a variation of the character you're using, which can sometimes have cool things. Like, for example, with the empath, I just unlocked her progeny, which now she starts with similar powers but now she has a massive shield over her that she starts with. Oh, cool. Uh, the Dragoon is actually a character you can rescue. One of yeah, the few the that's different. Yeah, one yeah. of the few that's different because he was uh, part of the free DLC. So when this game came out, there uh, the Guardian, the Dragoon, and I think one other character were didn't exist. And the only thing you could do was go to the mothership, blow it up, and go to the next dimension. The very last DLC they added was called the Prime Dimension. Uh, Ridiculous challenge, I'll say right off the bat. But the Prime Dimension is you finally take the fight to the Imperium's homeworld in the dimension that they all came from to take out Mother and end the fight for good. And if you succeed, you get a funny sort of message at the end of, you know, all right, well, you know, you saved every dimension, but... uh, you know, keep playing if you want to. Because <laughs> <laughs> they don't know what to do at that point. You just killed the yeah. main antagonist. Okay, well, then what do we do with the story now? Yeah, from a story point, there's nowhere to go. But uh, I thought that was just a funny little uh, funny little thing for them to put in there as opposed to trying to horseshoe something in there to, to make it make sense. It was like, ah, yeah, you did it. But, you know, I'm sure you want to keep Mother playing. Mother is infinite and is the source yeah. of all dimensions. For dimensions to exist, Mother must exist. You know, something crazy. Nothing exists now that I've killed the mother. Yeah, because yeah. that is the loophole. How do you continue a roguelike that's been justified after you killed the justification? Yeah, I think, I think what they did is the best. You just say, ah, oh, screw it. <laughs> okay, but since we're here, 
I have not seen the Prime Dimension because to get to the Prime Dimension, you have to unlock three progeny characters that have a star next to them. I only have two, so I haven't seen it. Six? Six. So, you normally you have five characters at the end, plus Justin, uh, who is carrying, like, you know, a quantum nuclear bomb that will kill all the Imperium. Okay. The Prime Dimension, you get a sixth usable character. To get there... Not only do you have to, you know, beat six of the evil versions of those characters so that they all can access the prime dimension, because once the evil one is gone, they can't, you know, show up in the in the prime mm-hmm. dimension. On each world, there is a tile you have to get to to hack something. It's not a mini game or anything. You don't actually have to hack it. It's just an interactable object. Mm-hmm. You have to get these three pieces of a code so that you can get to the prime dimension. So even if you have six characters the six correct characters, I guess. If you don't make it to those tiles and hack all three of those on each of the planets, one each, you can't go to the Prime Dimension. Okay, well, and then what does Mother look like? I'm not telling you that. What do you mean? You gotta tell me, but you do get to see Mother, though, right? Mother's the last thing that you fight, but I I don't want to spoil that for you. Come on. I mean, I'll get there, but, you know, it's not... Like, I'm not going to be heartbroken if you tell me what Mother is right now. A big-ass robot. Like, what do you want me to say? Big-ass robot, okay. The the Prime Dimension makes... Oh, man. It's just so hard. It was so hard. Like, going into that not knowing what to expect, I got destroyed. Destroyed. I I had to put it on normal so I could get through it. And I still don't know how I would beat Mother on a harder difficulty. I still have to figure Mm. that out. And the, the, I'm already te- having... the team that I'm using now, I don't know how I'm going to do it. Well, yeah, because I'm already having a tough time with the the snow planet you unlock after you finish your first run, because it's a harder planet, mm-hmm. and the enemies are much, much, much harder on that, let alone in the Prime Dimension. I assume they're much, 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 much stronger. It's not like you're... I'll say this, for the Prime Dimension, you're not going through three days and nine fights. It's shorter than mm-hmm. that. The ice planet, that behemoth is a son of a bitch. Pardon my language, but, but he's a son of a bitch. But it's not even just the behemoth. Even the, the lieutenants, the, the sub-characters are all maxed out. They're way stronger. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's definitely it's a challenge. It's hard. It's, it's hard because you have to almost, on the first planet, you have to optimize the level up of all your characters to do mm-hmm. anything on that next. And you have to pick the perfect, perfect character for your team to be able to do anything on that second planet. I think so. But you also don't, like, it's random. You don't get, you get to choose between two characters that the game randomly selects for you. Mm-hmm. It's not like you get the full roster to pick from. So there's still an element of, of randomness to it. Just like or all you get of the, the gear three. crates. Or you get yeah. the three. Yeah, I, I don't use that option. I, I go for two. The, the thing that I choose instead of having, being able to pick three from three characters is repairing armor every time you camp. Same. Same. Uh, it's, exactly, it's so exactly good. the same. It's so good. And it saves me from having to go to the armor tile unless I want to upgrade somebody's armor to have more. Yeah, and that's been the thing where I remember when I turned that off, I didn't realize how dependent I had come on that, become on that or how yeah. beneficial that was for the overall run. I don't understand why that isn't the, the max tier versus the armor one. Like, the armor one should be the max tier you can unlock. And the characters... Because it's cool that you can get choose from three characters. Yeah, you can pick a more efficient team, but 
the armor thing saves you over and over and over again. I have a hard time disagreeing with you. The only time I've gone for, I think it's called uh, like the diplomat where -hmm. you can pick from three is when I was doing that, my prime dimension runs because I wanted to make sure I was getting a higher chance of getting the characters that I wanted. 100%. And I assume in the prime dimension, as as efficient as it is because you spend less nights camping. No um, nights. There's no camping. The only the only camp you get is the one en route. Like you you know So Go ahead. So then is the armor even effective? Not there, no. There's no point. No. There's no point to having the armor in the prime dimension. It'll help you in all the the lead up to it, you know, on the three planets and the mothership because you still got to do the mothership. What? Oh yeah. It'll what? Help you. <laughs> yeah. You have to go through everything before you get to the prime dimension. Uh that is uh this game likes to torture you a little bit <laughs> i'll say if it was too easy you would uh, you wouldn't want to come back yeah but thanks to you because not only did you talk me into this game but you and simon i feel like we have to name drop simon on every episode but you and simon <laughs> talked me you know into playing elden ring this has been one of the most self-punishing months two months of my life because as a gamer there has been no there's the only guarantee i'll have every time i sit down to game is you will die (laughs) i i i think elden ring is on a whole other tier compared to uh star renegades but there's definitely an element of that well you will so the only thing with star renegades is you know it's funny because you will die you will die you have to die yes you have to die well so on my fresh run Remember I told you I started one fresh? Yeah, yeah. I died on the first one because I was only half paying attention and I made stupid mistakes. Mm-hmm. But with the base team... No, not the base team. Anyway, I beat it on the second try with no upgrades. So, what, so let's... This is a perfect time now, so let's get into teams. So oh, let's boy. get into teams. This is Okay, but... <laughs> I know, I know. So I'm, I'm a Valkyrie guy. You know, that is my staple. But I'll talk about some of my favorite teams in a second. But what is your staple? My go-to team, the one, like, we're just, are we just talking about the starting three? Let's just talk about your main character who becomes your staple no matter what variation you do. Oof. It's either the Paragon or the Saboteur. And I thought you were going to say Saboteur. I thought you were going to say Saboteur for sure. No. I was, I was so convinced. I, I used to say the Saboteur before I got, like, deep into trying out the Paragon. The Paragon can... So, the reason I like the Saboteur is because he has the best uh, timeline control out of any character. Easily. Hands down. Agreed. Agreed. The Paragon, with the right gear, can do what the Saboteur does to entire groups of enemies instead of just one. And I understand that. But what's interesting is... While doing high damage, Mike. I that's, agree. That's I ridiculous. Agree. I agree. And there's there's things I use. For example, the Enforcer is another big big character for me because the Enforcer is a character that doesn't do any stagger damage, but uh, it does a little bit, very very little. But only a couple big of his attacks. Is, yeah. yeah, but massive damage. Probably one of the heaviest hitters in the game. Mm-hmm. But like your tactic with the Paragon, my tactic with the Enforcer is so dependent on the right gear 
because they use flurry damage. It's about having upping the flurry damage. It's about making sure uh, they have a good combo with one of the other characters that you kind of level up the relationships with. And it does... So many of these runs and their success and their failure and their optimization does depend on the kind of gear you get on these people. Yeah, and I'll say in the beginning, it's a lot rougher. Uh, what you get access to the more you progress, and I think you should have access to this at, at, at this point, is you can promote certain gear to appear more often or yes. be more likely to appear. And that is huge to shaping yes. your runs once you get deeper into this game. So for the saboteur, I have promoted that he can hit the back row. Uh, one of the things that changes in this game is there's a front row and there's a back row. On the first planet, everyone's in the front row. You can hit everybody. Once you get to the second and third and then the mothership, you can't hit the back row unless you get rid of the enemies in the front, unless you have gear. Or some characters' abilities let you target anyone regardless, but until you can sort of mitigate that front row, back row, you're in rough shape. Yeah. And, and for me, for my play style, making sure the saboteur has that from the get-go, huge game changer. And then with the paragon, getting him to be able to almost instantly attack with his group stagger and do 45 to 50 seconds of damage, uh, stagger damage, it's like it breaks the game. It's nuts. But what, so what I do, item I don't, is offering you that? Uh, swords and I forget which, like, you know how there's like weapons, armor, and then like the gear? Or what, mm -hmm. I don't know what you would refer to call those. Those things. But, but the, then is your. Go ahead. But is your sword the thing that's doing the 45 to 50 second stagger damage? Because I haven't seen anything like that. Well, it scales, right? When you look mm -hmm. at it at the at the home base, it might say does an additional five seconds of stagger damage. Mm -hmm. But when you're on the second planet and you get a level six or seven version of that, it's gonna it could have it could roll with you know uh, group attacks execute ten seconds faster and do an extra twenty seconds of stagger damage. Like if you get a combo like that, the, the game is busted. Yeah, and that's that is crazy. I haven't seen that yet, so that's yeah. why to me that's mind blowing. So if I am trying to really win, I'll pick the paragon and more than likely I'm gonna get that and it's like a cakewalk. If I want to challenge myself, I don't pick the paragon anymore. So who so say you're starting a run with the paragon, who are you combining with him? You're gonna hate this. Probably okay. the guardian. Okay. And either the Enforcer or the Spectre, which is a character you haven't seen yet. I haven't seen Spectre, no. Spectre's probably top three for me. Ima imagine the Spectre, imagine the Saboteur that can almost do as much stagger damage while also doing probably two to three times more actual damage. But isn't that similar to the Commando? For me, the commando never reached that sort of same level. Mm. I, I Bentley, Bentley, which is his name, Bentley, yeah, the, the yeah, dual yeah. wielding robot, yeah. uh, was part of my first runs of beating that game. I don't touch him anymore. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and he was essential to my first run because my first victory was uh, Valkyrie, 
Bentley, aka the Commando, which is high damage plus medium to high stagger damage, mm-hmm. and Enforcer with high damage and almost low stagger. Who, who else was on your, your first victory there, Mike? No, 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 who no, 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 okay, who okay. Else? Then then I picked up <laughs> the Saboteur on the second planet, and then I picked up the Aegis, which is my probably my second favorite, if not my car- favorite character in the whole thing. And the Aegis is a shield wielder, a.k.a. I can take all the damage from my entire party. And Aegis is not as effective. So we'll go through some of these characters, but Aegis is similar to the Guardian, where the Guardian and Aegis are both there to help your team have the enemy pretty much targets them and they take most of the damage for your team. Mm-hmm. The Aegis uses shields. The Guardian uses their telekinetic super hodgepodge power. I'm they not use health. The they use health. So yeah. one of the things that happens after every fight is uh, your characters have armor, shields, and health. Your health doesn't regenerate after each fight. You have to get a health kit from a tile. Your armor doesn't regenerate after a fight, but your shields completely do. The Guardian is the only character where their health regenerates fully after the end of every fight. So they don't have any shields and you can't give them shields. They can just take hits and heal themselves fully at the end. They also have an ability, which I think you totally missed, where you know how the Guardian has those five charges they can build up? Yeah. She can use the, he can use those charges to heal himself for free. It's a free action. Yeah, but I, he's garbage. I don't want to use him for he's anything. Not, oh my shoot. god, he is not yeah, garbage. Yeah, it's garbage. Garbage. <laughs> if I wanted trash, Steve, I'd go outside and I'd pick it up off the street curb. No, I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> You're not joking. We've had this debate so joking. many times. I hate you for hating the Guardian. No, because Such a the good Guardian... Character. So the Guardian is... Go go back to your, your, your explanation of their role. I'll yell okay. at you later. Okay. So the Guardian uh, uses health as a fortification and can heal up and always gets their health back at the end of turn. The Aegis is someone who uses shields and takes a lot of punishment for the rest of the team and later on gets some attacks that actually cause a significant amount of stagger damage and can reach Mm -hmm. any row. But the Aegis to me is one of my favorite characters, but they are only effective in my opinion. And I I will say this, if you're using them from the very beginning of your run, because they're the Aegis, if you bring them on later on and they haven't been upgrading with the best weapons and the best additions, for example, reinforcing their shields or reinforcing their armor along the way as you're going through the planets, they're not as effective. They're kind, they kind of become like fodder. And I, I'd argue the Guardian also has the same problem, where if you bring them on later in your run, it just isn't as effective. They become pretty much the target practice for your enemy, and they're which the first to die. Want. Which is what you which want, which, but you don't want them to die. No, you don't want them to die, and, and if you collect them as the last character adding to your team they do become kind of the fodder that dies very quickly and they are just a bit of a throwaway i'll say that depends entirely on what gear is available when you pick them up on a planet if yes yes if yes. if when you pick up the aegis if the gadget merchant is selling something that boosts her shields and also just automatically regenerates her shields every round the Aegis can do a great job when you pick her up late. And then the the, the similar thing for the Guardian would be a uh, big health boost. Because their, their level's going to be a little 100%. bit below the rest of your team. And the more you level up the character, you know, their health goes up as well. So if you can get something that boosts that so that they can fulfill their specific role, it is still 
doable. I don't disagree that having them there from the beginning is better. Yes. Yeah, and and I get what you mean by that because those two characters are effectively if you bring them on later they are they are equipment dependent they are equipment dependent yeah. to be effective yeah. i mean they are there to be damage sponges um yeah there's another one so a tank is what that role is generally called there's probably mm-hmm. another one of those that you haven't seen which is called the juggernaut i have the juggernaut i oh. have the juggernaut I've been, I've been using the juggernaut juggernaut's great because the juggernaut can taunt and attack in the same turn which is a super useful move 100%. But the thing that is tough with the Juggernaut that I've been experimenting around is they have a similar problem to the Valkyrie, but almost 2.0, where almost all of its attacks cause stagger damage. So if you have too much of a stagger high team with, and you don't have a third character that just is damage-centric, yeah, it, 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 it is very problematic. For my last run that I was just on, I used the Empath, the Juggernaut, and Bentley, the Commando. And everyone all the time was creating stagger damage, and it was just getting me into pickles consistently. Yeah. I will say, with the Juggernaut, I will never get tired of the punch animation, where she just <laughs> jumps over, and no matter how big the enemy is, that uppercut launches them into the air. Yeah. I will never get tired of that. It's yeah. so satisfying yeah. to watch every time. Yeah, and I mean, that is, you know, my punishment to myself is because I'm playing on a crappier computer. I, I have to fast for it to be as seamless as I can for gameplay because my my computer chugs along as I'm playing through this thing and it feels just truly like a, a late-gen Super Nintendo game uh, when I'm playing on my computer. But again, it's the fault of my computer, no fault of the developers in the game. I have to fast-forward the animations of their attacks. So I just see a very, like, like a quick version of that and then somebody's mm-hmm. on their behind. So, you know, I don't get to appreciate the animation as much as you do. Well, I'm sorry for that because, you know... I know. On, on top of the pixel art being great, they did a fantastic job with a lot of the animations, too. I mean, the Enforcer, which, like, a, you know... if we, Like I said, if we put you in space armor, you'd probably look like the Enforcer right now anyway. You know, when he does his burst shot, like, his scarf is blowing in the wind and there's just, yeah. like, this huge force pushing him back that's he's trying to stay forward in his exoskeleton. Like, it looks badass. Especially the the sound too. I mean, you're fast forwarding all the sound effects at the same time. Uh, the sound effects still come out pretty juicy, though. I, and I know what you mean. The elements of all the characters standing there, even the Valkyrie with the with the cape fluttering in the back wind and stuff and stuff along those lines, it still looks beautiful. And mm-hmm. so another another character that has good flow is the Archon. Another character you can start with, and the Archon is pretty much an AOE user. What does AOE stand for? Area of effect, which usually means instead of a singular person, it's hitting a larger area. In this game, it means you're hitting everyone, all your enemies. Yeah, and the Archon starts off with a lot, not just starts off, has a lot of AOE attacks, and Mm -hmm. a lot of them are telekinetic. So with the Archon, it's a great little cap off if you want to stagger damage a lot of people by a little, or if you want to regenerate other people's shields so if you have a tank for example like the juggernaut or the valkyrie and they're getting hit a lot what's beautiful about the archon is you know you don't want to stagger a lot of combatants on the enemy's side at the moment you can at least focus their turn on raising your tank shields again and it's so effective yeah and my new run made me reappreciate the archon i hadn't used him for a long time but He's good, especially. I really like another one of his abilities, uh, degeneration, 
Yes. Yeah, just strips a whole bunch of armor and reinforces everybody on your team. You don't have to worry about the shields or anything mm -hmm. to get through to the armor first. Just boom, right away. Like, there goes eight or nine armor. Great move. Well, and then the other character that is sort of a support support class, because Archon is a support class with a nice level of combative attacks. So -so. The Empath, so-so. But the Empath is even less combative, but all support. Because I've been enjoying the Empath recently with doing the Juggernaut. Because say, for example, with the Juggernaut, uh, the Empath has uses mind techniques and they aren't row dependent. Every one of their attacks can attack anyone at any time. And they bypass shields. So you don't have to knock down anybody's shields. They go straight for health. So somebody who has a lot of shields, I, I've actually been able to attack characters that are very heavy in shields. So for example one of the little characters in the early planets that reinforces the enemy shields, I can usually I hate those kill. Guys. So I can kill one or two of those one those guys in one or two hits with the empath. One hit often. Mm -hmm. The empath and is a character I never pick. I've had, I've had her on one or two runs. It's not, for, it doesn't suit my play style. Sure, sure. But I just wanted to see. And I also was chasing progeny relationships. So mm -hmm. I knew the empath was going to have a, yeah, yeah. I knew she was going to have an empath relation or a progeny relationship with someone. And it turned out that someone is Bentley, the commando. Mm -hmm. I, I think but. for you, focus on the, I think it's called the gunslinger and the specter. I think you'll have a lot of fun with those two characters. And the, for those, I think the gunslinger you release by linking up the Valkyrie, which I can't get right now with the Archon and <laughs> Yeah, so that's the catch right there. And the Spectre has something to do with... I don't know, I gotta double check. I gotta double check. I kept replaying with the Juggernaut because I assumed somebody was gonna link up with the Juggernaut, but that's not the case. You can't progeny uh, two unlockable characters. You can so that you get a variant of themselves, yeah. but not to a totally new character. But yeah. this has also been a super long tangent off of who are my two favorites or who, yes, who, who yes. would be my two favorites. Who are yours? Yeah. Well, for me so far, it's just been the Valkyrie. And in, I guess, the new world, I'm looking at the new runs. It's definitely the Enforcer I love using. But I do love Bentley. Like, I do love the Commando right now. But like you said, I'm still in my early runs. Mm -hmm. Isn't that crazy? 18 runs in this? Like, it's it's not like... Other games where a run can be 20 minutes. 18 runs of this is a long time. 40 hours. Yeah. You know, 40 hours. And you, it is still kind of just the beginning. There's so much more for you to still unlock. But then on that note of still the ideal teams, what is one of your most memorable teams you remember building? Uh, most memorable teams? I can't... I don't remember what the first one was, but I know it would have had the... Archon, Saboteur, Valkyrie. Yeah, I don't even know if I can look that up anymore because I have too many runs in the no. game, like erase no. that. You know, the one of the ones that I thought was just I felt unstoppable was the Paragon, the Guardian, the Juggernaut, the Spectre, and the Saboteur. Damn. That's like all progeny characters. Uh, pretty much. Three, I th three I think of them are progeny characters. One of them, the Enforcer, I feel like the Enforcer was in there, and I do really like the Enforcer. But anyway, those five, 
will we'll discount the enforcer, even though I usually pick him too. That team's ridiculous. Well, so I remember my my favorite team because I talked about my my run game because I wrote them down because I wanted to remember this. Uh, I found for my winning eleventh run, my eleventh run, I'll always call it my eleventh run. My style was dependent on massive damage. Stagger was important, and getting Stagger was really important, but the combo that was unlocked when the Valkyrie and the Enforcer were... their relationship got stronger, committed so much damage that I was able to kill the second Behemoth in three hits. And that is unheard of. So massive damage became a big friend of mine because on top of that, their massive, their massive damage combo was not row dependent. So I could go straight for a lieutenant right off the bat and kill them in the first hit. And it was huge. See, I've never done that. Totally different play style. Mm. You know, one of the part of the camping thing is unlocking these combo moves as well as uh, different benefits. Another amazing benefit of having the guardian on your team is if anytime you get a level one relationship, those characters now regenerate health at the end of every battle. Pro tip and it's FYI, true. Mike. Um, I knew that. I knew that. I knew that. Yeah. So, but for me, the the those big combo attacks were always a last resort or rarely got used. And but that's what's crazy. That that's like an oversight on my part because that Enforcer Valkyrie combo does crazy damage. Like I watched one of your runs and I was just like, "What yeah. the heck is happening? Like, how did yeah. you just take this guy out in one shot?" Well, because some of the combos, if I'm looking, so let's just say. If you're looking at a big damage output, it'll be like 150, 120, right? One of those combos was 360. I think I saw it on near the end of your run, it was like 540. Yeah, it was. It, it was something it crazy. Was. I'd never yeah, seen a number was. that big, yeah. Yeah, that's how I was able to make sure, because on the final boss, you gave me the tip to take out the tank as quick as I could, because there's a regeneration tank that brings back the main boss after you take them down, mm-hmm. and it was only because of that massive damage attack that I saved for the tank that I was able to kill the tank before it regenerated the boss. Yeah, and I think this also, like, it's another way that we play differently is uh, you know, a mechanic we haven't talked about is when you attack an enemy before they're able to attack, it's a, called a critical attack, so you do more damage, but you also generate something called Fury Points. And those Fury yes. Points, which you can have a maximum of 50, can either be used to do one of these insane damage combos uh, that Mike uses, or each character has a unique ability. Uh, the one that I really like for the Guardian is called Stronghold. So nobody takes any damage except for the Guardian. Uh, the Saboteur has an instant stun. Um... The Paragon, I don't remember his, but everyone has a unique one. And my play style, as opposed to doing the massive damage, was, again, focused on timeline manipulation, but also getting a lot of those critical hits to generate lots of fury. I basically have max fury going into every fight, so I could use those abilities as opposed to the combos. 100%. And that was... Uh, that was a big difference maker, and that's why you loved the Guardian so much because their Fury uh, special was the Stronghold or Fortress, which mm-hmm. uh, took all the damage for the rest of the team. So if five enemies had five of your allies picked, they're taking the brunt of that. And then judging by the sounds of it in later game, then they can just heal themselves again. Yeah, because the 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 Guardian will take those hits, fill up her charges. And then it's like, okay, well, I'm just going to heal for 200 health for free and still get to do another action. 
So the Aegis has the same thing, but shield dependent. That's why I was really mm. hoping that I could find a way to get the Empath and the Aegis on the same team. Because then the Empath can be healing the actual health of the Aegis while the Aegis is taking all the hits for everyone. Yeah. And with the Empath, I know one of her things is uh, an aura. I think mm -hmm. there's, there's a healing aura, there's a speed aura are the first two that you get to speed up your character's attacks. Do you, is there... I, I, because I can't remember, I haven't used the Empath in so long. Is there different auras that you unlock for the Empath? No. Their most effective Fury attack is giving a free turn to any character you want. Ooh. That's so nice. what, when I was doing the Juggernaut, so say for example with the Juggernaut, I would use Battering Ram, which I think is... No, not Battering Ram. The one you said, which was a free action, which is like taunt everyone. Yeah, it's Battering uh, Ram. Yeah, battery she, she rolls herself into a cannonball and launches herself at one enemy and smashes into but them. But that's not the free one, though. There's a free one that specifically allows her to do something badass. I just don't remember what it is. Um, oh. But they have a free one because Battering Ram, because I'm just so fresh off using the Juggernaut, is, is an action. There's no way to make that one free. But with the Empath, what I could do was if somebody was getting targeted that was about to die, I could Battering Ram that person, give a free attack, because it's also free for the empath to give a free attack. So now I've got two free attacks from the empath and from the juggernaut. So now the juggernaut can battering ram and then punch, or I could double punch an enemy with the juggernaut, and the empath still gets to mind flay them, mm -hmm. mind knife them, and bypass their shield. So it was it, it was beautiful. It's just the challenge I'm having on the second now that Valkyrie's gone is I haven't really identified my new playstyle yet. A.K. what can get me there without the massive damage dependency of the Valkyrie and the Enforcer being combined. True, true. The Paragon does have those attacks, it's just not till later. And you do need yeah. something like that in the beginning. And, and that's generally how I build my team when you only have the first three, is somebody to soak up the damage, somebody to do big damage without doing any stagger, and then somebody just to stagger. Yep. And, then, and that's why... I was going to say, and then the, when you get your fourth character, depending on who it is, I'm either going to pick somebody else that does damage or I'm going to pick somebody else that can stagger as well. Yeah, and, I, and that's why the saboteur is so effective in the beginning because that is such a stagger-heavy character. The, the saboteur and the commando are the only two... Again, I don't know the specter, but those are the only two that I see that I can start a combo with or a run with that right away I have the stagger I need. We've come to the point, Mike, where okay. I, need you, I need you to say it. I need you to say that the Saboteur, Saboteur is, is a great, great character. character. Saboteur is a great character. Thank you. Saboteur is a... Thank you. The Guardian Finally. is not. The, the Guardian is a bunch of, of poop in a chair. <sighs> I apologize because technically they are, you know, they are... Uh, Quadriplegic. Physically challenged. Yeah, yes, yeah. yes. So... You're uh, not I, making fun of that. I know. We all know. I know. Just the character, even no matter how their layout would be, I just think they're a garbage character. That's for me. Have you ever seen the animation where they rise out of the chair and they're like floating and surging with power? Yeah, the per the Professor Xavier, sure. <laughs> Professor sure. Xavier only got out of his chair in his dreams. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, it does look cool, but then who's your least favorite character? Probably the Varangian. Even more than Dragoon? Yeah. Interesting. I, I just think so that... Curious. It's the only character that I think sucks. 
That's crazy because I haven't even played the Varangian, and that makes me not want to chase their progeny at all. Like I unlocked the, I unlocked him by the second planet on my first run. I went so hard on the cards between I think it was, I think it's the Valkyrie and the Archon or the Valkyrie and somebody else. Right away by the second planet, I had him available Val- for the next run. It's Valkyrie and Archon. Yeah. I, yeah. It, You'll be fine if you never unlock him, but <laughs> Yeah, and I'm not missing anything because one thing that I'm finding now that I finished my first run is there's phases to this game where there's getting to the end of your first run, your whole, whether it takes you, I was reading some people took them 30 runs to get to their first end. Some people took 20. Some people got it on their fourth. Some people can do it in 10 hours. It took me 20 hours and 11 runs. That was mm-hmm. mine, or 24 hours and 11 runs. Um, then my phase two is right now I am just chasing progeny. So it's not so much about getting effective combos of people that can get me to the end of the game. It's about as lock, unlocking as many characters as I can. And phase yeah. three, after I've unlocked the characters I want, will be find the next combo that can get me to the run and then get to the prime dimension. What would you say is your focus after... First off, just guess how many runs you've you've gone through. Forty, okay, okay, maybe, okay. Well, eh, you know, if it's like two hours a run, eh, fifty, sixty. Okay, because I I was expecting you actually said something like crazy, like one twenty or one thirty or something. No, 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 no. It's this like I said, this game a run is a little more involved than I'd say in most other roguelikes and takes longer. Yes, but the runs and the structure of runs makes this because my life has been insane lately i can't sit down and play an elden ring right now because an elden ring takes very long sessions to get and accomplish anything sure for me this game was beautiful because it feels so easy to just come back and forth because it's always going it's if if i have a little more time i have two three hours i can do a full run potentially or four hours like what is it my 11th run took me five hours that got me all the way to the end but it's because i stopped a lot to take out my dog and other things like that but you can get a whole run done in about two to three hours yeah you can also get one battle done in five minutes there was when i first was playing this game there was plenty of mornings where i had 10 minutes before i had to leave for work i was like okay i'll just do one tile and i did that one tile saved and went back you don't have to commit to doing a whole planet or something you can literally just even move one tile pick something up and be like all right you know done yeah it's not a huge time commitment if you don't want it to be or if you're like me and you have terrible graphics and you have to fast forward the animation you can get a a battle done in under two minutes (laughs) with the right squad you could do that too mike even with full animations yeah it's true it's true it's true because there are there are some squads but okay so i mean we've been going at this for a while and Mm -hmm. i want to hear i say now let's talk about and I want to hear this. What makes this, like, what is the je ne sais quoi about this game for you? What is the thing that makes this game one of the greats for you? It's going to be the incredible pixel art and animations. I can't say enough good things about those. And then, just like I could play XCOM endlessly because of, I, I just like being able to plan something out and watch it unfold that doesn't always translate well for me you know like 
Total War or any of the like any of those Total War games, for example, not a fan, never clicked for me. There's just something about in this game specifically, nailing a turn. When you get that perfect turn, that feeling I will never get tired of. It is a good feeling. It feels <laughs> it feels like you've mastered I don't know, you just you just feel like a badass. You're like, uh, this game. Yeah. You know, like my squad. I got this. Yeah, bunch of freaking badasses. They, you know, nothing can touch them. And then you know, you make a mistake, and your squad gets wiped, and you feel like shit. <laughs> yeah, because I remember on one of my favorite runs, my favorite team I had ever started to build was the Valkyrie Saboteur Enforcer, and then I put on the Marksman, a character we haven't talked about. That's a sniper that commits high damage, has a few nice stagger attacks but also can reach, when it goes into sniper mode, can reach any row in any character mm -hmm. with very heavy attacks. And I was destroying everyone. Like, I was steamrolling everyone, 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 everyone. But there's a dynamic in this game where if you haven't killed one of the generals on a planet and it, they kill you, that they level up and they get stronger every time. And there was this one general that for maybe my first eight to 10 runs, if not, I think on my 11th run, I got through them up until my 11th run just kept slapping me down was getting stronger and stronger and stronger and I was just breezing through everyone on that run that I said you know what fuck this general pardon my French um, but screw this general I'm gonna get through this I'm gonna get through this and I went for them and they just slapped me down and it hurt and it hurt <laughs> it does I, I've been there man I've been there when, you, when everything feels like it's clicking and then you just get that one fight that goes badly it sucks Especially, you know, you're on the third planet. You've come so far. Like, that's rough. It's definitely rough. Because you get cocky. You get cocky. It's hard not to. It's hard not to when you're making the Imperium look like a bunch of can openers. Because you do. Because there's sometimes... And you'll even go into the hidden. Because all these little hidden places Steve talked about you can access at night before you camp. There's some big bosses in there too. There's some lieutenants at the end of those of those secret paths and you'll slap down those secret lieutenants sometimes because they can be stronger than some of the lieutenants on the planet and you think to yourself you know wow i even made this this one look like a dummy what's this last lieutenant really gonna do to me and then they you get to them and they're like uh remember when i slaughtered you the first 10 runs yeah here we go again yeah uh, anybody uh, familiar with shadow of war knows what the nemesis system is which is yeah. you know, there's named enemies or generals that you can't turn them to your side like you could in Shadow of War, but if you if they beat you, they get stronger. If they retreat from a battle and you don't take them out, they get stronger. If you don't go to their tile on their next on your next run, they're gonna be there. They're gonna be stronger. So it's it's a lighter version of the Nemesis system, but it's there. But this just made me think of something. Do you have a, a favorite enemy and a most hated enemy in this game? It doesn't have to be a behemoth, just even an enemy type. And do your best to describe them, because I don't know any of their names. <laughs> well, I do have a rivalry in that the game, you watched it happen on my 11th run. There was this Gentis Kur, which was a, a lieutenant on the second planet that killed me about three times. And then I, on my 11th run, I slapped them down. And then they got resurrected on my third planet. And I was like, and they gave me such a hard time every time. And then if, the game, of course, of all the things kind of brought them back i was like oh my god um but probably my least favorite is the moon base because the moon base is insanely hard i still haven't beaten the moon base it's one of those secret paths mm -hmm. where there's this character at the end 
that is this juggernaut that keeps planting bombs and you have to kill all the bombs to hit them unless you have characters that can hit the back row and these bombs if you hit them though explode and hurt you or and it's it also yeah it's also super unlikely you're going to be able to skip the front row because more often than not the ship or teleporter to take you to the moon base shows up on the first planet where your gear is going to be terrible and you only have three characters if you're lucky it shows up on the second or third more often than not it's on the first i too am not a huge fan of the moon base because also there's the the moon specific gear which is always this like positive negative and i've never found the trade-off to be worth it for any of the gear that you find on do you the hear moon. that massive damage do you hear that you screwed up no i'm joking you did <laughs> yeah. great you did, you did great what about it's, you? My most hated enemy is probably... It's one of the, the Syndicate guys, but the ones that spawn all the missiles. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I hate those guys. Because you could... It can, it can make like a, a fight that's totally manageable, completely ridiculous, because they'll spawn like three or four of these missiles in a fight where there's already four or five enemies in the front row and you're not getting past those missiles you have to take them out and you're just eating damage from all the other guys that you can't hit yeah. they frustrate me to no end those missile guys well that's on the third planet yeah 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 not yeah. a fan of those guys so I, it sucks when if they're the the guy you have to beat to get access to the hidden base it sucks and when, when they're the boss of the hidden base that's the worst <laughs> I hate that that's the worst favorite enemy i don't know i don't know if i have one there's there's certain guys i don't mind fighting it took me for do you know the the really big robot that has the two laser cannons and it'll do that like yeah. could you, could you? took me probably until we started recording for this or like gameplay footage for this to notice that that's a another robot in a suit like a big mech suit. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, because when they explode, you can kind of tell when yeah. they come out of there. Never noticed it before. Well, yeah, and those, but those ones are fun. You know, I always loved when you got one or two enemies. It's just so much more enjoyable when you only had to fight one or two people. To me, anytime you had a group of people that was six enemies or more, and there was more than two shield guys in one of those combinations really pissed me off because to attack anybody else you have to kill these shield guys that will oftentimes be blocking someone mm -hmm. even when i had the massive massive damage combo runs those you had to kill the shield guys first and that really ticked me off because you know i had this whole strategy and then they're in there and they're just this annoying stupid enemy that's just kind of in your way and another one was i remember i think it's in the first hidden base the the people with the scythes that come down and they right away shut down all the attacks off one of your key characters. And oftentimes, it'll be the character that commits the most stagger damage. Yeah, yeah the, the it's called Cheap Shot. Yeah. Yeah, my on my like new hard run where I'm trying to get to the Prime Dimension again, my last boss was two of those guys. And you only have three characters, and they'd be cheap shouting two of my guys and only leaving me one. And I was like, you, you sons of bitches. <laughs> yeah, because that sucks. And then and they still get an attack. Yeah, th that one was a little more frustrating. The shield guys, I don't mind. I feel like that's a bit of a, a level playing field. I mean, you yeah. can taunt and make it so that the enemies are only hitting your tank. They're kind of doing the same back. That one doesn't bother me so yeah. much. 
the the zombies I found or zombie robots uh, were a pain to deal with. And those guys that you know the ones that are just like they look like a super jacked robot. Yeah, yeah. Those guys are such a pain. They eat so much damage. Every planet they show on, they just get tougher and tougher. They they just yeah. take a pounding. And if they're in the front row, oh man, you're in trouble. But a lot of these characters just get harder and harder. I mean, by the third planet, you know, by the third planet on the runs I've gotten there through, I've been fortunate where oftentimes my combination of people were so good that I didn't feel as challenged. But by the second planet was always, the second planet's always given me the hardest time. Mm -hmm. Both the behemoth has killed me. I've been killed more by the second behemoth than anything else. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Hmm. I don't know for me. I don't know. I, I, I don't know who I would say has killed me more. Probably the ice planet at this point. <laughs> Probably the ice planet. And I don't want to end on a, a negative note, but I, I, the one, one of the nitpicks I have with this game, and I don't know if this is something you've noticed, is there's, especially when you're doing big attacks or group attacks, there's so many numbers and like words like you know counter pyro this like there's so much that pops up on the screen that it hides the animation and i I wish there was an option to turn that off Hmm. because you can you can always examine the enemies or your own characters later you know by using the there's the the button to inspect everyone right i I wish there wasn't just this like freaking number gasm every time you took a turn number gasm like yeah that. <laughs> uh that number you get number gasmed all over yeah As i mean blinded by the number gasm that's a funny nitpick that actually is kind of a funny nitpick yeah. but again you get to appreciate the graphics more than i do so i guess sure and that's just something after you know having played for 120 hours and focusing more on like what I'm actually seeing as opposed to what I'm trying to do. What, you know, if I'm just casually playing it, it's like, oh, what does this character's animation look like? Cause I've never really paid attention. I, I can only like half see it because you know, it's counter 30, 50, whatever, you know, but I get it because I remember that was a big gripe of mine in all the dragon age games. When you, when you got deeper into the dragon age games and your characters got stronger, so many numbers are popping up what's the point at some point when I'm just like, okay, everyone's causing everyone a lot of damage and I can't, and, and I don't even know who's coming from what, because so many numbers are popping up that I Mm. I said, this is kind of redundant at this point. There's no real reason to keep this going, but we won't not leave on a, on a negative note because I'm going to say why I think people should play this game. Sure. Please do. What this game, and I mentioned it in brief, this is to me, There's a feeling I get when I think back to my childhood and I think of games like Mischief Makers and random side-scrollers in the early mid-gen N64 late Super Nintendo games that were so nostalgic and so I'm playing a challenging game with beautiful, let's call it campy story, but great gameplay, great dynamics. There used to be a game for Sega, I remember going to my buddy's house to play, where you were like on a board game with tiles similarly, and every time you would roll the dice and land on a new challenge, you guys get thrown into a new challenge. And when you hit the end of the board, you got to go through like a final run. But I just remember all these games left me with this very beautiful mid-90s feeling of gameplay, like what the air felt like, what the everything. And this game, in every way, takes me back to the good old days of gaming. 
it, it is just so raw and beautiful. It, it, it has such smooth gameplay. That tactical RPG element that we've mentioned throughout this whole thing is so fulfilling. Just building your characters on each run. I, as someone who's... Uh, I love to build characters. Even for such a short run of two to three hours, these characters die and you have to restart with them. I get such a fulfillment, as fulfilling as when I play a 160-hour or open-world RPG, building these characters and seeing them grow. And this this is such a heartfelt nostalgia game that if you want to feel like you're playing a game back in the mid nineties again, star renegades is the game for you. Mike, that is a beautiful sentiment. And I think the perfect place to end things on this one. If you feel inspired, please do try and check this game out. Uh, it's only like $24 and it goes on sale on, uh, on sale on steam all the time for like 10 or 12. It's on switch, PlayStation, Xbox, like wherever you want to find it. It's there. Please check it out. Support Do Massive it. Damage. It's a great game. They can hopefully continue to make even more great games. Uh, and yeah, you know, enjoy if you do. Do it. Mike, Game it. Always a pleasure. Steven, buddy. always a pleasure. I guess this was all games go to heaven. Episode two. Bye. Bye. <laughs>